As we are continuing our Second Corinthians series, uh, today we come to another encouraging yet really deep paradoxical truth. And then simply the title suggests the main theme of today's passage, don't lose heart. And this seems to be popular saying, isn't it? Even athletic field or never give up. So when you are trying to pursue a career or, or your academic degree, don't ever give up. But usually, the popular mainstream trend is something to do with positivity, the positive thinking, positive attitude. Uh, some, some sayings going like this, right? When the tough uh, it continually comes on, and I, I forget how it goes. <laughs> going gets tough, <laughs> the tough gets going, right. Thank you, thank you. I had my my notes too. <laughs> and it will be surprising to for us to find out Paul's reason, Apostle Paul's reason for not losing heart. And therefore it is countercultural and paradoxical. So I I gently, as your pastor, and firmly to ask you to put your preconceived mind down, be open to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you through Scripture today. I mentioned paradoxical truth a couple of times because <clears throat> the previous passage sits on top of today's passage contextually. So we need to do a quick recap. And uh, let me remind you, the uh, G.K. Chesterton's uh, definition of paradox. Paradox is truth standing upside down, asking for attention. So it, it is seemingly nonsensical. Uh, paradox means, it doesn't make sense, but in a deeper truth is, is actually there. Paul mentions the nature and his life and ministry is summarized in this phrase, treasure in clay jars. Treasure in clay jars. And there are four paradoxical, paradoxical truths in it. The treasure points to the glory of our life, the beauty of our life, is actually not, it's not about us, it's about God. Therefore, we are to embrace our weakness as a vessel for God's surpassing power. Subsequently, we are breakable, easily breakable clay jars. But instead of trying to be positive about it and make ourselves strong, we are to embrace and be vigilant about our fragile weakness so that we could depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. This treasure is placed in, in the jars of clay so that you may know the surpassing power of God belong, power belongs to God, not to us. I think, I think that it is really a critical point because if you don't think about it, because it's a paradoxical thing, we could m be misguided ourselves. Think about this. We are weak. Of course, I, I can't do a lot of things. I feel weak and I get old. But God's power in us. Okay, I'm going to cling to God's power. 
Now, because of God's power, I am strong and powerful. Prosperity gospel. Triumphalism. This is false gospel. What Paul is saying is that our weakness is a vessel for God's glory and power to be revealed. So we continue to stay weak. But that weakness helps us to depend on power and glory of God, not on ourselves. So, bear with me. It's not just a word play, but it's, it's a paradigm tweaking, fine-tuning of our faith perspective such phrases, think about the great powerful men of God is oxymorons. That's not true. The weak men of great God. I hope that. that. That's really the principle of who God uses. Not because you're pity, so, uh, full of self-pity and you're weak and you're you're just drenching, drench yourself with your own self-miserable self, but because you are fully aware of your weakness and not only in terms of strength, but in terms of against the temptation and sin, you depend on the power of God daily, so God uses. And then suffering comes in that picture. Because in our fallen human nature, when things are going well, we tend to be full of ourselves. Even if you remind yourself, humble yourself, that becomes only a thought itself. Putting all those together, power and weakness principle, we are to welcome and hardship, once again, as I said before, hardships and suffering, but remain resilient in them by God's power. Christians are not immune to cancer. Christians, Christians are not immune to having our children go through developmental problems. Heartaches, financial problems, CUP problems. But through those weaknesses, we learn to stay in God's power and become resilient. We're struck, knocked down, but never knocked out, knocked down. We are persecuted, Paul says, but never forsaken, persecuted by people but never forsaken by our sovereign God. That's the resilience. The fourth and last paradoxical truth in summarizing and recapping and life through death. Jesus died on the cross giving his life through death and that through his death we experience life. In the same way, Paul says, his sufferings, experiencing close death experience, and also internally dying to self, denying his, his own rights and denying his own fleshly desires, others get to hear the glory of God, the grace of God, and their given life. So in, 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 in a sense that Paul's life is all about embracing whatever it takes in current situations, which is a lot of hardships, in order to give life. His continual death experience gave life to others. What a contradictory 
interesting to even contemporary Christian culture. Who do you think of when you think of as most important spiritual leader of the day? This is what messed up, messed up, uh, got messed up in Christian culture. The people who are extremely articulate, people who have a visionary, people who are actually even tall and good looking, all that together. If he leads the church or she leads the church, we have hope. Paul, by just looking at it like a clay jar, he himself it didn't look much attraction there. He didn't seem much. And people criticize about his public speaking skill as well. But he knew. So our choice is in front of us today. So will we embrace the truth that seems so paradoxical? Or are we going to go with the mainstream? If there is a syncretistic, in other words, mixed with worldly wisdom, that Christian truth, which is really twisted, far from the real gospel. So in light of that, today's passage points to same thing that he has uh, been sharing, but and yet he points to why he doesn't lose heart. There are four, at least four keys in this. Well, I, I think I need to prophesy this also too. Uh, some of you have been having good life, right? I haven't. I, I didn't sleep well, and, and I, I got you know, a lot of stress coming up because of all that, and my eye twitching happened. And then last Sunday, it was acting up so much, so many people came up to me, and that gave me stress. <laughs> okay. If I look stressful to people, I will get more stress. So this week, by discipline, spiritual discipline, I try to sleep as much as I can. I try to cut, cut down any caffeine. I try to stay awake during the day. It was hard, but during the night, I slept much better. No tweeting. <laughs> but the reason why I think this message is so timely is he, I think God wants to encourage us. As, as loving dad says, son, daughter, don't lose heart. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that. And also, as a church in God's community, I think God is saying to Crossway Church as well. Key number one, don't lose heart. Cling to the certainty of hope for your future resurrection life in Christ. Verse 13, so don't look at the conventional wisdom. Look for the meaning of the text which will be paradoxical to us. Verse 13, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and, I, and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus <clears throat> will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Paul is here not saying anything new, but he's summarizing and reiterating his point by quoting Psalm 16, verse 116, verse 10, David's Psalm, um, and takes that 
a phrase as a format and frame. <coughs> I believe and therefore I say. In other words, his, his saying is not just an utterance, but it comes from his deep conviction of faith. What did he really believe? What he firmly believed beyond the shadow of the doubt was a resurrection. Not just the resurrection of Christ, but the resurrection of Christ will be his and every believer as well. <coughs> In other words, Paul's central reason for not losing heart was not present good outcome, which is transient, but future resurrection life, which is eternal. Okay, don't, don't miss this. God loves you, so be encouraged, and God's going to help you to, to succeed in this month was not God, uh, Paul's reason for not losing heart. Paul's perspective is looking at the entire eternity. There is no end. But right here, his present sufferings and his life was right here. Compared to what comes of eternity, it's nothing. It's temporal. So when you, when you think about what is real and what is not real, uh, Paul, Paul's talking about right here, it sounds like unreal things over there. And some, for some people, it, it, it could be even wishful thinking. And what is real is today. Do, do I have money in my bank account? Is, is, is my... Is, are my kids going to good college? Is my business picking up? Or to, today we are suffering because my kids are having this uh, developmental issues with autism and uh, my family is not doing well because of this tension and conflict and uh, our church is going through CUP but next year, within six months, everything will turn out. If you hang on, don't lose heart. And God's going to bring his power to bring all the solutions to the problem. That's not it. Then you will be disappointed in your life. And you will lose the heart. What Paul is saying is, I fix on the eternal things. And resurrection of Christ is promised for us. And my conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit on me, is that, Paul, when was the last time you thought, thought about your eternal resurrection life? And that gave you encouragement. And I scratched my head. And said, we just want CUP problem go away <laughs> within six months. We just want to find a place to worship. Oh, my in-laws moved in because of this housing issue. So I'm just going crazy. I'm doing well. As I look relatively <laughs> good. Especially tell Kate that I'm doing well. <laughs> we just want that problem to go away too. What's going on here is that our faith becomes a means to an end. Rather than our faith, if God is the center of the universe, must be central as well. If I can God, can God, who is almighty, powerful, get to do something I need, that is a Christian life I want. 
But God is saying to us, the best thing is in me. Look at me. I will raise you from the dead. And the body that you have right now will be a resurrected body. For eternity, you will spend time with my son, Christ, with me in my kingdom. For those of you thought about death so closely because your close one has gone through death, has, has passed away, or suffered severely because of severe diseases, this is far from your daily thought, isn't it? But if you could at, at least think about, like, as my as I think about my brother who had you know, incurable brain disease and he's still you know, relatively stable now, thank God. But there was a time that he had one year death sentence. The doctor said he had one year. And the reality of not losing heart looks like this, brothers and sisters. When I visit my brother, his peace, his joy, doesn't come from next month he will be healed from his speech impediment, that he will be able to work again, that he will be able to preach again. He was a pastor. That he will be able to drive again. No, the things that he shares with us is an eternal perspective. Then when you think about that in your pain that caused by your loved one's suffering, even that, you become radically different in your perspective. Because what's eternity and what's now? Paul lived that eternity today. So even though he was beaten, and even though he was stoned, even though he experienced close death experience, even though he was knocked down, he was never knocked out. He was Brazilian. And that brings another point, what Paul is saying <clears throat> um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19 through 24, that this thing was in his system. And his contention is that every Christ follower need to embrace this resurrection life today and every day. That our hope comes from this certainty. In verse 19, he writes, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep to die physically. For as by a man came death, and by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die because of sin, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has 
put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So not only in his perspective, he had an eternal hope for the resurrection life today, but also had different aim than us. Remember what I said about if God is the center of the universe, our faith in God must be central. God must be central. And the purpose of our life must be on God, which is central. Don't lose heart. Key number two, make your life aim to bring glory to God by extending God's grace to more and more people, even through suffering. Verse 15 simply says this, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving, to the glory of God. If, if we could see meaning in suffering in the, in the light of God's sovereignty, then it is endurable. Let me make a point. <clears throat> when when I married Kate, two things were very apparently true. To me, food is very important. To Kate, sleep is very important. So I we come home early. I mean, we come home late at the same time. I must eat. I could do without sleep. But she goes, she doesn't care about food and she falls asleep. So when we had our first son, I was deeply worried. Because what if she doesn't wake up when the baby <laughs> cries? So I'm a light sleeper, so I, I would wake up in the first several weeks. I walk up every time when she walk up and the baby is crying. And you know how the routine is, babies sleeping one or two hours and, and you have to feed the baby constantly. Oh man, we did that with four kids. <laughs> but an incredible thing happened. Kate got up with any problem, without any problem whatsoever. Even to a point when I was, when I was really tired, acting like a little sleepy and, and I'm aware of what's going on, but I don't want to get up and she gets up with no problem. Even when kids are throwing up in the middle of, why do they do that? <laughs> why can't they throw, throw up in the middle of the day? And the two kids get sick together and they're throwing up at the same time. You have to clean up bad sheets and change them and clean them up, doing all that with joy. No complaining. What happened? But there was a meaning in what she's going through. Suffering was glad suffering to care and to, to love her children. And our problem is it life became too much about ourselves when things don't go well and we begin to wonder when do I get the sunny day? And Paul is saying my life aim is to bring more glory to God. Or don't, don't think that Paul's just novel in a, in a way that he, it's all about his self-sacrificing and, and all that. But he saw the paradoxical truth bring glory to God, gave him the fullest joy. The fullness of joy came from glory of God. Because God made us that way. 
So what, what goes on in Paul's life was, as Paul is willing to take the suffering to spread the gospel, to extend the God's grace to more and more people, they become Christians, they become believers, they're saved, and they bring glory and praise to God. And in, in the end, God gets more glorified. Okay, at this point, I think we need to think about how this applies to me. You don't have to be a missionary or pastor to live this kind of life. Or in, uh, another way of saying it is, it, this, doesn't, uh, this applies not only to missionaries, to pastors, but to every Christian, Christian follower, Christ followers. And how, do, how do you do that? Do you have your life aim at bring glory to God? And if you become honest, you have been drifting away from that. It became, life became so much of self-happiness or the happiness of your kids. But if you bring back again to God's creation purpose, bring more glory to God, and I am going to enjoy the fullness of my joy, and you begin to think about what makes God's heart leap for joy. What God cares the most. And obviously, to save the sinners like you and me. And to extend that grace to everyone. That's why we are to be missional. We are to Support our not only missionaries, go visit them. And boy and Cindy are going through a tough time these days. We had another uh, Skype session set up because people requested it. This Tuesday night. Not only in our finance, in our travel time, in, in, in our mindset of glorifying, glorifying God. Or mission field can be in the backyard. In our neighborhood. Being the salt and light where we live. But ultimately to make Christ known as we know Christ, isn't it? Key number three. Before that, let me just say that um, these verses come to my mind as I'm thinking about Paul's purpose and how he lived life congruently. So think about this. First Corinthians 9 19 says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself servant to all, that I might win more of them. He didn't have to do it. He gladly do it. There was a self-sacrifice there. See, he accommodated his life to others so that they, he could win more people to Christ. Second Corinthians 1.16, Paul said, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. He's writing to Corinthians that he's saying that if we went through a lot of hardships, it's because of you. Because we want to serve you and minister to you. And he goes on, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering we have, we suffer. Well, that's a lot to chew on right there. Is my life aim on glorifying God? Or is it just a bunch of rhetoric? And it's in truth, in, am I seeking my own comfort 
my own affluence and my family extended. True Christian life, brothers and sisters, authentic Christian life is finding joy, different type of joy, different kind of life in losing ourselves. Key number three, don't lose heart. Realize that though your outer self is wasting away, your inner self is being renewed day by day. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart, though our, our, our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. I'm going to bring back verse 1 just to make the point is that Paul's making a bookend, two bookends, a the, thematic statement here. In verse 1, he has started the chapter this way. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. By the mercy of God, it seems the reminiscent about what he has done in the past already. But in verse 16, what he's continually doing now and even in the future. I know when this verse is read, typically we could easily misunderstand our outer self, my physical body, and inner self, oh, my spirit. Oh, yeah, yeah, I feel, I feel old. Um, you know, my hair is falling apart. You're only thinking about that, right? But what Paul's referring to is entire old self under first creation of Adam. So when a new believer comes into Christ, the regeneration happens. We are a new creation. The new self, inner self, is uh, residing and living in this outer self shell and then in, when we physically die our outer self the old self is done away we will no longer struggle with sin but think about this it's more than physical body and the way we struggle with mind distraction you want to do it but you cannot do something because of lack of willpower. And even if you have a willpower in terms of purity of your motive, it's never 100% pure. And I, I, I'm, I'm presenting myself as case number one. I want to have a best intention for you. But every single time when I come up to preach, my prayer is, Lord, protect me from myself. May it be you that glorify. Because they're all, all, a tiny little bit of an ulterior motive can be there. So that's why you need to continually pray for the, uh, pray for the leaders, not only for me, but all the pastors in our church and home group leaders and elders that they might not be outwitted by Satan's scheme. In our mind, in, in our intentions. And temperament as well. And one thing I wish I could change as I'm getting older, I wish I could be more uh, flamboyant at some time, right? <laughs> like bright and you know cheerful, witty. I'm far from that. I'm usually more <laughs> melancholy, and I want to be deep, but sometimes that appears to be more uh, critical, intense. But all those things. we struggle with be done away in the future and it is falling apart with our memory goes well, not you know as as good as it was in younger days 
But what happens in every day as you are surrendering ourselves, the Holy Spirit is continually renewing our self, inner self. Have you seen those people? I'm talking about people who have gone through trials after trials. But their faith not only kept them sane, but beautiful. Do you have a mentor that you looked up to? And I mentioned, and as you guys know, I quote John Stott a lot, right? He's been my book mentor from my younger days, and he looked young back then too. He's, you know, but a few years ago, before he passed away, he came to Orange County first uh, again. And then when I saw him, he was in late 80s. Complete grandpa, the white hair, and his, his voice was trembling and weak. But in his message, thought line was impeccable to how he expound the passage and later on after the message and you know people lined up I lined up I just wanted to thank you that his humility was real and here is a beautiful man I you, you, I, I wish you, you know what I mean by that his character was beautiful sanctified in spite of his weakness. Isaiah 40, 29 to 31 gives us the glimpse of what this paradoxical truth looks like. The Lord, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So instead of dodging difficult times or blaming on our own, you know, the body that doesn't work or, or the mind that doesn't work as well as it used to, maybe we need to pay attention to what God is doing in our souls. That we will get strengthened. That we will find renewal day by day. And I conclude with key number four, which is probably the most powerful, impactful uh, for all of us. Don't lose heart. Remind yourself that this light momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. I intentionally kept exactly verbatim what Paul wrote. Uh, the ESV, at least in that sense. Verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Message trans to paraphrase Eugene Peterson. I love how he paraphrased this passage. Let me start with verse 16 and all, all the way up to verse 18. Peterson writes, So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding <coughs> grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. 
the lavish celebration prepared for us. Oh, that sounds good. There is far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things that we can't see now will last forever. Isn't that good? So, um, look at Paul's faith perspective here. He went through severe sufferings and hardships. What does he call it? This light, momentary affliction. Why? Because his eternal faith in resurrection life was today in his perspective. In light of that, this is a little. And what gave him encouragement in the dark time? It was that eternal weight of glory the gravity of God's glory applied to, to us in the resurrection life, that we shall become like Jesus. We shall no longer struggle with sin. There will be no more crying, no more tears, no more death, no more dying. And looking at that, he says, what I'm going through is light, temporary, momentary affliction. Uh, uh, let, me, let me give you this in closing that um, don't think that I am setting myself apart from you. Living in Orange County, it's not easy because things that we see seems glaringly, like a flashingly true. Seems like. In order to be a good dad, you need to send your kids to the good school. And good schools belong to good district. Good district belong to affluent, comfortable cities, safe cities. And that, that could become all about what we are, our life purpose could be. Would you serve behind the scene? Would you visit Boy and Cindy? Would you, would you be interested in going to Thailand next year? Or Indonesia is opened up now? We, as we partner with him, it takes two days to get there. Would you go there, taking your vacation time? Why? Because things that are seen are transient. Things that are not seen are eternal. This is really faith issue. You could become cynical and say, I don't want to do anything about that. And then that's not a Christianity from Scripture. It's a man-made Christianity. I close with this quote from Larry Crabb. Dr. Crabb writes, The simple truth is life is hard. It never will be as good as we want it to be. And it will inevitably become painfully difficult for everyone before it's over. So the question is, how then shall, should we li live? What story should we tell with our lives? To achieve what? My life is telling a story. Your life is telling a story. If there is a good story to tell, 
one that gives me solid hope through bad times that good times lies ahead, lie, or lie or ahead, and no one that releases me to live with joy and purpose now. One that releases me to live with joy and purpose now. I want to know it and live it. Don't you? My concluding words for each one of us. Has life been difficult? Do you, do you face trials and hard times and someone you care about going through pain and suffering and diseases like cancer? Don't lose heart. Not by just being positive in your thinking and attitude, but by trusting in God's promise fully, wholeheartedly. Live, live eternal perspective today. Your values will change. Your lifestyle and life purpose will change. Of course, there might be some sufferings in order to please God and glorify God. But in it, I assure you, you will find different type of joy, transcendent joy, like my brother does these days. May the Lord give you encouragement. May the Lord be with you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you the heart that will never give up because of eternal faith. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, thank you for this timely word for each one of us and for our church. Teach us not to lose heart. <coughs> not because uh, next month you will do something miraculously good for us, but because if in your sovereignty, in your timing, your goodness will unfold eternally in our resurrection life. And to that end, help us to aim to glorify you with our lives and finding our fullness joy in there. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.